This is Empowered Human Academy. Welcome home. This is about love. This is about light. This is about the idea that you, you contain everything you will ever need. And this life of yours, this is where you expand, you grow, and you remember who you are. I'm Abe. I'm Isaac. In Empowered Human Academy, we join with humans of all kinds to feel the inspiration that can only come from empowered living. The stories you hear today are unique, but the energy? The energy you hear today is yours, too. So, with hearts wide open, let's begin. Thank you for being here. Empowered humans, hello and welcome back. We are really glad you're here. We have a truly heart-expanding conversation that we can't wait to share with you. And before diving in, we want to give you the heads up about something cool we've been making. Lightwork Together is a bi-monthly group coaching experience that's honestly hard to put into words because it's just that, an experience. It's a group exploration of what it means to live from our most expansive truth and to stay close to that deep soul space more often. We meet the 15th and last day of each month, and when you sign up, you'll get immediate access to our library of past sessions, as well as to our community Slack channel where we stay in touch throughout the week. If you're interested in signing up or learning more, head over to lightword.com together. Now, on to today's episode. Y'all, we are so excited about today's guest. Though we've never met her in person, we've been following her work for a while now and have been moved by the energy she puts out into the world. Lola Wright is a holy disruptor and guide, weaving together the mystical and material to help people listen for their own internal wisdom. She hosts a podcast called Find Your Fierce and Loving, which we highly recommend. We've linked it in the show notes below. For many years, Lola has also served as the CEO of Bodhi Center, an organization committed to personal transformation, collective awakening, conscious activism, and community building. The common thread woven through all of her work is the belief that when one of us lives more freely, humanity itself becomes more free. This conversation took so many fun twists and turns, some being spiritual partnership, aliveness, paradox, delusion of the ego, and how we can choose to create more breathing room between stimulus and response. We learned so much from Lola's insights. She's a force for love in the world, and we're so grateful for her light. This conversation energized us, and we hope it might do the same for you. So let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Empowered Human Academy. Today, I am so excited to be sharing a conversation with a person that we actually just met in person probably five, definitely six minutes ago, um, but we've been following her on Instagram and her work over the past couple of years, and her name is Lola Wright, and she's a guide, a mentor, a, a spiritual guru, I mean, we can go into that later, and is just an amazing woman, so we're just so excited for you to be here, Lola. Thank you so much for your time. How are you doing? I'm really excited to be here. I also have been following you two, and I'm super inspired <laughs> by your journey, the way you share yourselves so authentically online, which I feel like lots of people say they do and fewer mm. people actually do it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited already by your energy in this space. We had the great delight of attending a House of Bodhi event that you hosted in Chicago, and the energy and the unabashed celebration of being and of mm. self is something that I took from that into all the days that followed, and yeah, just thank you for sharing your energy today. So to begin, we begin the way that we always do with these episodes. It's a question of identity, not the way you introduce yourself necessarily, though there may be overlap, but when you come home and it's just you being you for yourself and not being anything for anyone else, what words of identity do you choose? Who are you? Hmm. Yeah, the word, <laughs> the word that comes to me is lover. Ah. I'm really a lover. And you know, I think I, I love big, mm. like I love, you know, fiercely. Yeah. And I do that in relationship with my husband, who I consider a best friend mm. and spiritual partner. Cool. I do that with my kids. I'm more challenged with that around my two little dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I'm a big lover. And sometimes people miss that mm. because we have a very narrow idea of what love looks like in yeah, this yeah. culture. And it's usually thought of as something sort of refined and polite and sure. acceptable and comfortable. Mm -hmm. And for me, love looks like saying the thing that you don't necessarily want to hear, yeah. but is coming from a place of service and okay. candor. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that description pairs well with, you used the word fierce a second ago. Can you talk to me about both of those things together? Yeah, I oftentimes will refer to the Aramaic definition of the word love. Okay. Well, the Aramaic word is huba, okay. and it comes from the Semitic root ha or hav, which means to set on fire. And oh. I don't think people realize the sort of the root of love. One of my sort of favorite philosophers is a guy named Ernest Holmes, and the way he defines love is a cosmic force whose sweep is irresistible. It goes beyond analysis. It is the fire of the universe. And I'm like, yes. And Absolutely. so for me, like this idea that fierce and loving are in opposition is yeah. such a mistake. Mm -hmm. And I fundamentally believe that the kind of love that's needed on the planet now more mm -hmm. than ever is a yeah. fierce love, one that's on fire, one mm -hmm. that can sweep in and clean up a space of its false sense of self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've seen you like barrel into that from, from what I can tell full steam ahead <laughs> since the pandemic started. I'm not sure if there was a threshold there where something changed, but I feel like I saw suddenly you pouring that out in a more visible way more than ever. Hmm. Quick check. Am I correct? Was there a transition there? Yeah, well, so you mentioned House of Bodhi, yeah. and that was a project that I did out of a community based in Chicago called Bodhi Center, which yeah. I led for seven years. And in February, well, it's so interesting, because in January, I was in Los Angeles. January 2020, I was in Los Angeles mm. at Oprah's big like live your vision tour. Yes, yes, oh, cool. yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. A number of friends are very instrumental in her production team. And they were like, Lola, you got to see this come. So my husband and I flew out there and we did that. And I did this whole like visioning of like who I'm here to be and what, you know, the next several years are going to look like. And it was Bodhi, 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 Bodhi. Mm -hmm. And I have my journal that is timestamped with mm -hmm. that intention. Mm -hmm. And no more than four weeks later, something in my soul was just like, you're complete there. Oh, and wow. it was like heartbreaking, actually. Sure, sure. You know, because I had a, a meditation many years before that said I would be there for 40 years. Now, what hmm. people may not realize is that metaphysically, 40 really it indicates a time of completion. Mm, okay. And so I took it literally. Like, I was literally going to be there for 40 years. Totally. <laughs> but I left Bodhi. I left Bodhi in my last day was March 13th, 2020, which also happens to be like the day the world shut down. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think part of what happened was I was healing, you know, to pour yourself into a body of work mm -hmm. as I did. There was an unraveling that has taken place over the last year, hmm. a death, if you will, sure. and also a liberation, hmm. you know, a, a freedom. What was that moment of pivoting, if you will, or the moment of completion? When did you actually, was it a feeling? Was it a thought? Was it like, what did it feel like in your body? I just had the sense, I can't do this this way anymore. I was leading a scrappy nonprofit organization that had done such extraordinary work in Chicago and well beyond. But there was an imbalance in the relationship. I tried as best I could to figure out how to fund the work. And I couldn't, you know, was it them? Was it me? Was it us? I would, you know, I, I couldn't figure out how to honor my gifts and talents as a creative, as yeah. a creator, as you know, a mind as a, a you know, a presence mm -hmm. and tend to the needs of this organization. And I just got really clear, like, if I am suffering, something's off. Like mm -hmm. suffering is not native to mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Totally. So in that moment, did you have to tell people? Did you tell your husband? Like what was kind of the translation of that awakening moment? Yeah. Well, fortunately, I had a complex but deeply connected relationship with the board. Mm -hmm. And I invited them over to my house. And I was still hanging on to like, well, maybe we could do this. Maybe we could do that. And at one point, one of them said, honey, would you be willing to just stop working so hard? Mm -hmm. And it was as if they were midwifing my own wow. process, yeah, you know? Beautiful. 
It's challenging. I mean, perhaps you've been in a relationship with someone or something where you love it so deeply Mm -hmm. and yet simultaneously know it's time for it to end. And the complexity of that experience is very challenging because it's like, wait a second, why do I have to leave this thing that I love? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet it was clear in that moment it was time. Yeah. The timing of this is interesting to me just because I'm like in the background meditating on the conclusion of Daft Punk, if you've heard about them. Their mainstays in electronic music, that's not relevant for this conversation. But the point is they've been around since 1993. They're massive and they... You've, they, you've definitely heard like their songs might not know the, the, yeah, the, yeah. the point here is that they decided to end on purpose and they did so with a wordless video that they released and with no comment to the press or anything. They're just done. And to end on purpose is something special. I think Mm. you talked about a second ago, you used the words death and liberation together, like they're tied together. What does that mean to you? Yeah, well, you know, in the Christian scripture, and then Eckhart Tolle talks Mm. about this in one of my very favorite books, Stillness Speaks, he does an adaptation of this, the idea that we must die daily. Mm. And Eckhart Tolle's adaptation is we must die before we die. And what he's saying there is, you know, the more that we can die to our ego nature, and expand into our essence, Mm -hmm. that's really the human journey. Like, Mm. we have this false sense of self that we've constructed based on family agreements, cultural agreements, you know, fears, you know, outsourcing our safety, security, approval, control to the world around us, right? Mm -hmm. And the more- It's overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. So overwhelming. So overwhelming. And and not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so I- just know my practice has been, you know this as people who have your own following. It's like, how do I, yeah, I, I, I don't know what I want to say about that, except that like, I'm here to honor the truth that lives in my own being. Mm-hmm. And I must know and trust that those who resonate with my authentic self-expression will find me. It's like a little like a mating call. (laughs) It's like... No, that makes sense. That makes sense. (laughs) Totally. Today, I was musing on the fact that like I can't create... The best understanding that I have is that I can't create anything in anyone else. I can only create in myself and then attract whoever's down for that sort of thing. Totally. So a former version of myself had to die, Mm. which was the belief that I needed this thing Mm -hmm. called Bodhi to be all that I'm here to be. You know what I mean? And so, and it's been heartbreaking. You know, I mean, it really has been heartbreaking. The last year has been really, I think for all of us in different ways, heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I oftentimes will make reference to the Jewish tradition that Mm -hmm. honors death for a year of grieving. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like, oh, something died, you know, take a few sick days and move on about your life. It's like, no, can we really grieve the loss of what was? Mm -hmm. And knowing that that's going to actually be with you for a long time too. It's not like you moved on from Bodhi House and then you're going to forget about it a year from now. That is That has shaped you into who you are today. What have you learned through your heartbreak? (sighs) I have deep gratitude for my husband who is someone who doesn't live inside of sort of the dominant cultural narrative of masculinity. Mm. He's very, there's a stillness to him. He has nothing to prove. I mean, this man is like, and it's so interesting because oftentimes people will say things like, oh, you and Nathan have such an interesting dynamic. They assume because he's not operating inside of toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. that he is the manifestation of femininity because we don't actually have an understanding of like, you know, and there are lots of challenges with the idea of masculinity and femininity. I could go deep down a rabbit hole on that. But he is such an integrated human. And so he has nothing to prove And he has just been a reminder for me that I am right where I'm supposed to be. And I think that is one of the most important things to create in one's life is a sense of relationship and partnership, whether that's with your friends, whomever that's with. Mm -hmm. But if you're not surrounded by people who remind you Mm -hmm. of your 
beauty, your glory, your brilliance, your intelligence, your wisdom, your power, your abundance when you forget. Like yeah. anybody can be there when it's easy. Mm -hmm. You described him earlier as your spiritual partner, and I'm glad that we've returned organically to the language of partnership because I wanted to ask you for a definition there. What does it mm -hmm. mean, whether it's specific to that relationship or you want to take it broadly, what does it mean to be in spiritual partnership? Yeah. So right before I met him, I was very clear I wanted an intimate partner. Okay. And, you know, I, I talk about like speaking radical truth about mm -hmm. yourself to yourself, which yeah. basically means speaking at a level or in a way that is independent of circumstances and conditions. Most of us speak from the outside in, and I'm going to invite us to speak from the inside out. What's the truth of who you are? Mm -hmm. The truth of who you are is that you are whole, holy, perfect, and complete. Mm -hmm. Now, we've been inundated with messaging that there's something inherently wrong with us, and mm -hmm. So we're constantly navigating that. But I knew that I wanted an intimate partner. So I started working with this context. I am in loving an intimate partnership with my best friend and husband. And it was mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I'm feeling that. I got it. Like, And then one day it was like, oh, no, I am in loving an intimate spiritual partnership with my best friend and husband. And it was mm -hmm. like, wow, that's a very different quality. And yeah. so to answer the question... The quality that that involves is that we understand we are existing in a reality beyond the material realm, mm. and we are provoking one another into that inquiry when the other forgets. And so, like, okay. I just, again, we're so, we're like in a trance as human beings, and we actually think like this table, this microphone, these headphones, like, this is what's real. Mm -hmm. And if I was in relationship with someone who believed that this dimension of reality is the most real thing, mm -hmm. like, in my opinion, most of us would feel pretty flippin' screwed. Mm -hmm. Like, you could look at your circumstances and be like, well, geez, you know, this is going to be really challenging. Mm -hmm. And as a young mother, as someone who's navigated levels of poverty, sure. like, who's had experiences in the material realm, it was an act of resistance for me to say, this is not the truth of who I am. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so he is that for me. My yeah. spiritual partner occurs in my relationship with him. It also is the quality that I expect mm -hmm. in all of my relationships. Mm -hmm. Cheers. Same, yes, same, yes, same, yes. same, same, same. And it changes the game then because then it's like this, what you were talking about in the beginning, this radical set on fire. And when you feel that fire, everything else is boring. Oh. Everything else is dead compared to that. And when you feel it and taste it and embody it, how can you go back? Like you just yes. can't. And yes. Go ahead. Okay. So this I think is... Like This is a huge thing that I'm dying to ask you. And backing up for a quick sec, Abe, Abe in the past has talked about the idea of living happily ever after. Like It's not just about getting to the point where you mm -hmm. are, where you have the permission to be free and be in joy, but it's actually hanging out in that space. And that's when life actually starts, I feel like. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. In a lot of ways. And paradoxically, I want to ask you about transitioning what it means and what it is like and what the process is to go from okay, cool, I, I know the boundary between abundance and lack. I know what that threshold feels like. How do we, how do we transition from that transitionary place into a place where we are grounded in the fullness of ourselves and what is. Does that question make sense? Yes. And you used a word earlier. You said paradoxically. Mm -hmm. And I will reference that now because abundance is not determined by what you can see. It is not determined by what you have. Any of these qualities of truth, of the infinite, of the universe, yeah. they exist whether you are experiencing them or not. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that is the paradox. I had to claim for myself the abundant nature of reality despite the world of appearances. Mm. And right? How, and how did you practice doing that when we are so reminded of the opposite? Yeah. So when we brought our young adult children home from New York at the beginning of the pandemic, mm -hmm. I said very clearly to them, and I don't know that they really needed me to, so maybe I was saying it for myself, but I said, look, you know, we don't know how long this thing is going to last. We have no idea what this is about. 
And you, not unlike any other day of your life, will have the opportunity to choose every day who you are going to be in the Mm. midst of circumstances that you wish were other than they are. Mm -hmm. Like they were expecting to be in New York and L.A. living their wildest dreams of being singers, songwriters, producers, Mm -hmm. etc. Like they were not anticipating living at home again Mm -hmm. with their parents and their younger siblings. And so... Again, it's like anybody can choose joy Mm. when everything is perfectly manicured to their liking. That Mm -hmm. actually requires zero skill, no chops. Mm -hmm. Okay, so earlier you said suffering is not native to us, and yet we're talking right now about the need to repeatedly choose the opposite of that. How do we hold those ideas together? So there are a couple things. One is there's sort of our biology that does live in a scared and threatened state when Mm. we are unconscious. Mm. And yet we have the capacity to rise above and beyond our biology. Mm -hmm. You know, so most of us are not actually living in a threatened state. Mm. We think that we are threatened when we don't get our caramel macchiato just right. We think we are threatened when we don't get the promotion we think we're owed. We Mm. think we are threatened when our dad doesn't do what we think a dad should do or whatever, Mm. right? So we have to be able to hold both things as true at the same time. Mm, You know, Byron Katie talks a lot about this. Like, how could, would you be willing to consider that, or, you know, Jim Dethmer says this in his work too, would you be willing to consider that the opposite of your story is as true or truer than your story? We talk about that all the time when we're choosing perspectives, even when we're in disagreement or argument. He was like, that is one perspective and it's valid. Here's another also valid perspective, which one do you want to focus on? Yes. And the the risk is, and this is what I see a lot of people do in the, you know, self-help, personal Mm. development, spiritual but not religious space, whatever you want to call it, Mm. we'll do something called spiritual bypass. Mm. So we have an incapacity to be with discomfort, Mm. and then we will need you, whoever the you is, could be ourselves, Mm -hmm. to stop being with that discomfort and just sort of gloss over to rainbows and unicorns. Mm And again, it's like, how can I be with all of my human experience? How can Mm -hmm. I be with that which is profoundly uncomfortable? Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's, it is reckless to say that a pandemic has not had devastating impact. Mm -hmm. You know? Totally. Despite the fact that you may be experiencing the greatest year of your life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. both can be true. You can be having a breakthrough year in your business, in your consciousness, in your recalibration, whatever. And there can be those that have been profoundly and deeply impacted. So Mm -hmm. we have to mature beyond either this or that. Mm -hmm. Either this or that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that completely makes sense. I'm reminded about, I, I keep calling back earlier earlier in this conversation because there have already been so many good things. You used the word provoke when you were talking about the relationship that you have with your with your husband. And I'm pairing this in my mind with the notion that like we are always creating our own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it is accurate that the pandemic, I don't know if this is the right place to use this word, it has provoked a lot in a lot of suffering in people who didn't know how to handle it Otherwise, and I, I'm being a little bit ginger and phrasing it that way because there's like I don't get to speak to anyone else's experience, but I'm curious about the concept of provocation as a way that we interact with each other, given the also truth that we are each responsible for creating our own experiences. What are your thoughts? Well, this is where we have to realize that there is a personal and a collective. Okay. Right? So there's, you know, the personal is inside of the collective. Mm-hmm. So we are having a unique experience right where I am on planet Lola. Mm-hmm. You are each having a unique experience right where you are on planet A, planet mm-hmm. Isaac. And then we are all contributing to a collective experience. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's like to understand, I don't know if that is speaking to what you're inquiring about, yeah, but I think going. to make sure that we understand those are two things that are happening concurrently. Okay. We are mm-hmm. living in a multiverse, really. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is what you were meaning, but this is what I'm hearing, which is that there are those who have gone through this experience of a pandemic yeah. and been met 
with discomfort they have previously not been familiar with. Mm -hmm. And yet we could say that's actually not discomfort. Do you know what I mean? So like a good friend of mine runs a community health center in Sarasota, Florida. She's a psychiatrist, really brilliant. She's worked mm -hmm. at Rikers Island and she has been in seemingly some of the most challenging circumstances in the human condition in this country. Mm -hmm. And yet what she has reflected on is that her clients, her patients are so much more resilient than many of her friends. Hmm. And so what that speaks to is I think something around where we believe our comfort is found through our material experience. Externally, yeah. Yeah. And once you once you have been met with, like, you know, as I have said to people over the course of this pandemic, like, gosh, I mean, this is nowhere near the hardest experience I have had. Now, for some mm -hmm. it is. And so I think that's Absolutely. important to acknowledge. But I have had an experience where I didn't know how I was going to feed my kids. Mm -hmm. I've been responsible for children in a home where the utilities were disconnected. Mm -hmm. Like, that, those are problems. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. when you're a parent or you're just, you know, trying to figure out baseline survival, mm -hmm. it's like, that's really, really challenging. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah. And I think going back to this kind of multifaceted experience of living, like we can paradoxically experience different things because a lot of things are true, right? So we are having a great conversation right now while someone's literally losing their parent to COVID at the same moment, right? So that's right. In, in the world of spirituality or self-help or, you know, this understanding that the universe is really big and we are really big, how do you you know, because some of the critiques of like the self-help, they're like, well, you're not addressing the reality of what's going on or the hurt. And I'm like, well, for me, the way I help is to become my best self and to be connected to my truth. So that way I impact the collective, like you were talking about, to make it better. Because if we all are operating like that, then it, the collective is going to be better. And oftentimes we disconnected individuals are trying to individually impact the collective from a broken state, but we're the creators here. You know what I'm saying? So how do you kind of ground yourself in this like, yes, you are fierce, you are loving, you are owning all of your truth while also not getting swept up with this kind of the shame that sometimes people can point to like, well, mm -hmm. you're just spiritually bypassing, but it's actually yeah. not. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Well, one thing I, I just want to say before I, I jump in on that is I don't want to undermine existential suffering because mm. you could have all your creature comforts and still be in a, a state of deep despair. And, and and I don't mean to trivialize that. Yeah. I don't I don't want anyone to hear this as like, well, just because you can pay your light bill, you're, you should be fine. Yeah. Because yeah. I think, yeah, please can go. I, um I was a leadership camp counselor for many years, and I always had a heart for the kids and students who came from rich families because they were the ones that are always coming to me and saying, Abe, I really love your authenticity. I really want to do art, but I'm set up to be a doctor. And that is like that repression is going to follow them throughout their life if they don't have that space. So everyone's like, well, why do you care about the rich kids? I'm like, because they are the ones that are forgotten about oftentimes. Yeah, it's like, true. Anyways, go yeah, go. On. No, no, no. It's it's really actually, you know, my older children's father, he and I would have this debate quite frequently because he grew up in public housing in Chicago and I grew mm. up like in the literal lap of luxury. Mm. And, you know, this need to compare one another's suffering to, mm. you know, as if it's there's some kind of like race. Like, well, no, I, I, but you haven't suffered as much as I have. It's mm -hmm. like, there's no there's no value in that, actually. It's like, we are each having a human experience, and it is filled with heartbreak, and we each have a responsibility to learn how to be with our heartbreak, mm -hmm. and then have it be in service of good. So, you know, we all can make a difference in climate change. We're not all here to lead the climate change movement. Mm -hmm. We all can make a difference in disrupting racial injustice, but we are not all here to be movement leaders. Mm. There is a movement right where you are that is worthy of your attention. And I oftentimes say, like, your purpose 
is a protest. Because when you are not living inside of your purpose, you're living inside of someone else's expectation for you. And that is worth starting a movement towards. <laughs> like, you know, you are here to be this unique, glorious, holy manifestation of the infinite God, spirit, life, the universe, whatever language you want to use. You are a portal for this vast universe. And there is a unique expression, contribution, that only you can bring to the planet. You know, the formula that I use is aliveness plus contribution equals purpose. So aliveness, what is aliveness? Aliveness is the somatic experience, the body experience of coming alive. Like you, it's like when time and space disappears. It's like, like for me, this is an experience of aliveness. I love being with people and I love talking about this stuff. So this is an aliveness experience for Cheers. me. Yeah. Contribution is that which brings me alive oriented to be in service of the greater good. Because if I'm the only one that benefits, I, I, I question that a bit. Yeah. You know, so what's what is the what is the contribution I'm here to make? When you can tune in to what brings you alive and how it is of service to humanity, that is a purpose and that is a protest because we are living inside of an existence mm -hmm. where people are making decisions about their lives based on bank accounts. And I, I mean, look, bank accounts are great, and I want us all to be joyous, happy, and free and abundant in the process. Mm -hmm. But actually, the choice to prioritize your bank account over your aliveness is not a choice for abundance. It is, in fact, a choice for scarcity. And if you are orienting your life around scarcity, you are actually entranced to the status quo. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we've all been there. Oh, and it's a and and it's a constant practice to remain alive in a society where throwing it in your face and the messages and everything basically you a lot of things that you see is the opposite, right? Yeah. If you don't mind, can we take that home to your experience since discovering that you know it was time to close the House of Bodhi chapter? Like, how how did the aliveness plus contribution formula play out in your own understanding of what happens next for you. It's still germinating. Oh, it's cool. like, it, you know, it's like, tell me, like for me, the thing that like brings me joy yeah. more than anything is exactly what you experienced at House of Bodhi, a microphone, yeah. a stage, yeah. a 10 piece band and a room of human beings creating a vibration of yeah. possibility, creativity, yes. imagination, mm -hmm. and doing so disruptively. And by disruptively, I mean rising beyond your suffering. You are yeah. not here to suffer. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. You know, awesome. and so yes. so right now I can't do that in the same way I enjoy. Sure. I can't I can't be in a room with a band and human beings and sweat and sweat, dance yeah, and, spit and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I also know that I'm preparing myself. Okay. And so if I just focus on what I don't have, guess what I have more of? That which I don't have. Absolutely. But I can also use this time to gestate, mm. to incubate, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. the gift for me, like if this hadn't occurred, I would have left Bodhi and I would have been running around like, you know, relentlessly wanting to do live events. Mm. Okay. Live events by and large cost money. They don't make money. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're like Beyonce on tour, you know so, what I mean? May we all be, but yes. Yeah, exactly. So for me, I have had to get sober around the responsibilities that I have and the financial security that I want to establish in my own Ooh, life. Okay. Yeah. And so it's it's required that I put some systems in place, that okay. I create a vision, a structure, some mm -hmm. order for this big, imaginative, creative, visionary yeah, yeah, life yeah, yeah, that yeah. I yeah. want. Like, there are some foundational pieces that I've needed to put in place yeah. this last year, and I'm doing that. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I want to know as much about this as you care to tell me, because I feel like 
like you're not the only person who's participating in this conversation. I'm talking about our listeners later who are holding what would seem to be like the reality of financial responsibilities <laughs> and whatnot. And also they're trying to find a way to see their aliveness communicated through what they do. Mm-hmm. So given the fact that you're holding all of this together, and I don't know if you want to talk about what specifically you've come up with or more abstractly about the process, but what does it mean to like have responsibilities that you can point to and lay out in a spreadsheet and also be like, but I am an infinite living creature? Totally. I mean, that is the great tension. So, you know, I think that the part of why I feel so emphatic about us each connecting with our aliveness sooner rather than later yeah. is because it takes time to actualize your purpose. Mm. So the longer you delay your inquiry into aliveness, the longer you delay the actualization of your purpose. So, okay, okay. you know, like, it's so funny, you know, I, I'm born and raised in Chicago. And it's like, wow, chance, you know, this is a handful of years ago, Chance the Rapper. It's like, where'd that guy come from? It was like, mm-hmm. he's an overnight sensation. No, that kid was a young poet who was like honing his craft for 15 years before anybody found him and was relentless about it. And my guess is he had to have some jobs along the way that didn't light him up, but it was in service of his purpose. And so that has been true for me. It's like, and I'm constantly balancing that myself. Like there's work that I do today that is inside of my value system. Mm -hmm. And it's not like my number 10 bring me alive. And I'm committed to not creating an experience of such financial scarcity or survival for myself. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, it's like there's a process Mm -hmm. and, and we poo poo the process. And it's like, we want to like wave a magic wand and think this happens overnight. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I am living proof. I have been in this explicit conversation about transforming your life and living on purpose Mm -hmm. for I'm 42. I would say I independent of my mother became sort of voraciously interested in this at the age of 19. I That's love your word tw- choice. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's 23 years, and I'm still sort of trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. And, and like you were saying, what you've been doing in the last year, like in the course of your whole life, this year is such a small piece and it's an important piece and we need to continue showing up. And and I, I think of the, what we're doing and we've been kind of, we've been together for seven years and we actively have been kind of chasing after our joy and chasing after our aliveness. Like in, in all the ways, a friend just asked us, so what's your next big life decision coming up? Because they know <laughs> that we are living in a way that's not going to stay stagnant because mm-hmm. like, and, and, there's, and there's a difference between like continuing the ball rolling and not being like manic, if you will, because there's totally. some seasons mm-hmm. of that. But, you know, in this, I think of it as like really sacred space of like just allowing. It's so important to like remember that this is the journey. This is the process mm-hmm. yes. with weight loss, with business, with diving into like who you are, Lola, today. Oh my gosh, when you were 30, you couldn't even imagine where you're at, the depth that you're at now. So, like being patient, I, I don't know, like. I, I don't know if I have a question or point. It's more so like, I feel like we've been in this space of like, it needs to happen now yeah, because yeah. we see the stock market increase and you, your overnight success. But it's like, what are we doing in a sustainable and productive way? So that way, that aliveness isn't fickle. It's actually an identity. Yes. Um, I love yeah. that. I think that that's... I think that's beautiful. I'm thinking of a conversation I had the other day with my friend Tyler, and he has many businesses and he's, you know, been very, very successful financially. And he's also the CEO of a Buddhist monastery that has sort of global reach. I mean, he's really like got so many great things going on. And I said to him, I said, so what are you, you know, dreaming big about these days? And he's like, I'm actually practicing dreaming smaller. And I thought that was so brilliant because it was like, can I appreciate what's here now? And that's what I hear you inviting us into. It's like in a society that is so oriented around bigger as better, I want to make sure that people understand that's not what I'm encouraging us to explore. Mm -hmm. You know, my husband and I, our primary value system has been living a life that is aligned. Mm -hmm. And that has meant perhaps making less money than some of our friends in the short term. And I'm not claiming that as like the truth for our existence, Mm -hmm. but we have prioritized 
our purpose, our genius, our mm-hmm. aliveness, our joy. And do we have as much money in the bank as many others? Uh, no, nowhere close. And in fact, we have multiple six figures in student loan debts, which is a function of our age group. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yep, I- so, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I think it's mm-hmm. important to actually be honest about, you know, and still, I refuse to have student loan debt be the determinant of my life. Are you kidding me? No way. There was a moment in our life where for five years of our relationship, we didn't save any money. And we were like not in debt, but we were saving, we had student loan debt, of course, but, and we had some credit card debt, but like, when I look back on our relationship, we were alive and well, and it's gotten us to a place where we are more grounded than we've ever been, right? So I think a byproduct of living alive and on fire right now will give you the abundance that you'll ever want, more so than living dead mm-hmm. uh, in a dead space that doesn't create any life, right? And and like Isaac always says, you know, because I came from a place where we didn't have a lot of money growing up. So I latched on in my 20s to traditional values and traditional mm-hmm. pathways to success, quote unquote. And then it's been a lot of unlearning and relearning what that means in my own way. I kind of want to jump because I'm suddenly curious about something. Do you design your value set or do you discover it within yourself? I would say a little bit of both. I am a body type. Like I feel everything in my body. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but I'm an Enneagram 8. And um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, So, you know, I'm a body type. I feel life in my body. My gut is my center of intelligence. My yeah. husband is an Enneagram 5, which is a head type, mm-hmm. and so his center of intelligence is his his mind, his analytical yeah. skills. So for yeah. me, to determine my values is a lot of like, I talk about like loose knees and move your hips. And it's like, mm-hmm. what am I feeling? What am I mm-hmm. noticing? Okay, if I can pay attention to the trends in my life, yeah. I really value joy. I yeah. value fun. Yeah. I want to experience as much joy, as much fun as possible in my mm-hmm. existence. Mm-hmm. And I I simultaneously have an incredible capacity to be with dis-ease and discomfort. Mm. So that that is, again, I just want to say, that doesn't mean I play in spiritual bypass. Sure, sure, and, sure. you know, we hear this more and more and more, joy is an act of resistance. And that mm. is for sure true in the present state of humanity. Mm. It's also important to realize that, like, you know, the the dis-ease that we see is also largely manufactured by media outlets, whether mm-hmm. that is Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, TikTok, like whatever. I think TikTok's probably pretty entertaining for some. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's like it's important to realize that, like, there's a lot of good happening yeah. in yeah, the yeah, human yeah. experience also. Yeah. There's a lot of joy. And we have a responsibility to not allow mm-hmm. these toxic thought traps mm-hmm. to occupy us. Um, so for me, Nathan and I are in a constant dialogue around what's important to us, Mm -hmm. down to like, we're scheduled to get on a Zoom call with some friends Friday night. Like, let's tune in. Is that really what we want to do? You know? And like, we do that all the time. Would we be willing, albeit uncomfortable at times, Mm -hmm. to say, I love you? And I actually don't have like a full body yes to hanging out with you on Zoom Mm -hmm. Friday Mm -hmm. night. And Mm -hmm. you don't have to use that weird language. It's just what we use. But (laughs) like, you know, so so it's an active practice. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's like a lot of companies, right? They'll come up with value statements and they'll live like as a plaque on the wall, but it's mm-hmm. not an embodied experience. Yes. Yeah, yeah. For me, my values are just like a lived embodied experience. Yeah. And most of us can look at the course of our lives and you can see threads of what's important to you. So mm-hmm. for some mm-hmm. people, financial stability and security is mm-hmm. a very important value. Mm-hmm. And I'm not suggesting that it's not for me, but it's not the first filter through which I make decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my girlfriends said to me recently, she's like, you have such a high risk tolerance. And I'm (laughs) like, I don't know if I have a high risk tolerance. I just have an unwillingness to compromise on my vision and my desires. And that then sometimes means I have to live in the discomfort of the unknown. Like right now, I've launched a business and it costs me as much as it makes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And like, totally. I'm being with that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I know this is where I'm supposed to be. 
I know myself as a fiscally responsible human. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know that I am not bleeding resources. Yeah. Is there something more or different that I could or should be doing? I'm always open and willing and curious about that. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh. Oh, 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 I can't do it. I mean, and by the way, there was a time where I was that way. Like, try to be a salesperson and be freaking out about your basic survival. You won't ever sell a thing because it's people, you know, what you were talking about earlier, Abe, you know, we are vibratory creatures. Hmm. We are magnetic fields of awareness. We are drawing unto ourselves that which we are in every given moment. And so what you said earlier that I think is so very important is like, we actually can alter reality by the frequency and the vibration that we are moving in. And to your point, that doesn't mean we're not sober. And I mean spiritually sober or mm, cosmically okay. sober. I sure. mean, like like that manic quality. Got it. Yeah. Like you can actually vibrate higher mm. and do it from an awake state. Yeah. And that's what I hear sort of- you. Yeah, well, or just from awareness. Like, you know, one of my early teachers said, you know, Lola, how are you doing? I walked into a class one night and I said, I have so much good going on in my life. I'm freaking out. Like, I feel scared, actually, by all of the good stuff that's happening. I was hitting my threshold, my set point, my upper limit. And he said very simple words to me. He said, keep expanding your container for good. And I took that to mean like I reach my hand. I literally still do this to this day. I reach Mm -hmm. my hands out to my sides Mm -hmm. because I'm like, well, a line is infinite. It doesn't have an end or a beginning. So Mm -hmm. I am an infinite container for the good of this vast universe. And I, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And can I open myself, prepare myself? Most human beings say they want something. Oftentimes it will actually come your way, Mm -hmm. but you have not created the container to hold and receive the very thing you say you want. And then you're pissed. Which takes time to create. We can't go from a state of depression or anxiety all the way to joy. We need to move in that direction to be able to withhold that. Yes. I'm reminded, I heard the line, there's a one-liner somewhere that said, this overwhelm is the abundance that you asked for. And I wish at that time that I had heard the thing that you said, which is that Mm -hmm. like you can expand your container for goodness and get a grip on this abundance and transfer from overwhelm to, I don't know, what other, what's the opposite of overwhelm? What word do I want here? Receptivity. Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm thinking about like some of us have really experienced traumatic incidents in our life. And so we have an expectation of more trauma or more drama because Mm -hmm. it's actually Mm -hmm. what we know. And so it's familiar. Exactly. It's a neural pathway Mm -hmm. and it literally lives as muscle memory. Mm -hmm. And so then we create more of what's familiar, even Mm -hmm. if it seems completely hazardous, illogical. I mean, I have certainly done that in my life. And part Mm -hmm. of my departure from Bodhi was really taking a stand for being in healthy relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, and really saying, I can do good work in the world and be paid accordingly. And that's not to make Bodhi wrong, right? I was in collusion with that system. I was in collusion with that consciousness. And, you know, so anyway, I mean, there are a lot of rabbit holes we could go down around that. But I just, I think that for, for those of us who have experienced trauma, we can sometimes hear these conversations like, oh, how easy for you to say, just rise above, just expand into joy, mm-hmm. <laughs> experience more good. Yeah. And it's like, you you all said it, like, it's a process. Mm-hmm. Be loving with yourself. Be graceful with yourself. If you've ever tried to stretch a rubber band, like one of those old school rubber bands, mm-hmm. and if you do it quickly, it snaps, it hurts your finger. Mm-hmm. If you do it slowly, it actually can stretch even further. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and the journey is never done, right? Like I'm four years into my health A minus one hundred journey, and like I have the knowledge and the and the embodiment that I never thought I would four years ago. And also I know there I'm just touching the surface of the capacity that I have to expand and 
what Isaac was talking about, living happily ever after, isn't just this like roses and fairy tale reality. We are able to withstand and and take on harder things because yes. we're grounded in our light and grounded in our truth, and they do not own us anymore. Yes, we, we move through them and we we feel them. I was sad yesterday. My mom died when I was twenty two. I was honoring her. I was sad, and also that does not own me. My That's joy right. and my expansion. And when we are on top of a fucking mesa. There was wind blowing and I just held my hands out and I imagined the force of the wind mm. was the love, was her love like covering mm. me. And that's the perspective that I can focus on, right? Yes. While still simultaneously sad that she's gone. Totally. Um, so that's like, that's the container, the, the expansion of the container. Yes. That's what it embodies to me. That's what it feels like to me at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. I'm just sitting with that for a second. The, it's powerful because once you feel it too, you, you can't like you can't go back. I, yeah, I, yeah. I said that earlier. I don't know. It's just you can't. I don't have words for it. It's it's really powerful, and that doesn't mean that hardship won't happen. It means that it's not the point. What's our identity? Grounded? I also appreciate how you took a seemingly benign experience of the wind and the sand blowing towards you, which you could have actually experienced as irritating and in, uh, inconvenient. And instead of working against the environment, you said, how is this for me? I'm going to actually lean in to this climate experience I am having and realize it's like I get to say mm. that this is the manifestation of love from yeah. my mother that is sweeping over me. Mm -hmm. That actually takes something. That's mm -hmm. a choice. You chose that. Totally. And we totally. always have that choice. And it requires micro movements mm -hmm. because it doesn't just happen out of nowhere. No. Mm. I'm pivoting a little bit before we end. We have a couple minutes left, but I remember listening to one of your Instagram lives and I just love when you go on and you are just like speaking your truth. I'm like, get it, get it, get it. I'm like snapping, I'm like crying, all these different things. And I remember you saying that we're so addicted to the drama. And mm -hmm. can you just elaborate on your feelings on that before we kind of wrap up and ask our final two questions? But in a space right now where we are still rattling with and, and kind of moving inward and, and there's a new horizon with the vaccine and life will become somewhat normal again, hopefully soon. And what are your thoughts on that addicted to the drama thing? Yeah, Gay, Gay Hendricks, who's written many books like The Big Leap and Conscious Loving and many others, says, you know, if we actually untangled from our habituated experience of drama, we would be left with a reservoir of energy of which we wouldn't even know what to do with. And because we don't actually have a context of what to do with our energy, Without drama, we maintain drama because it's familiar. It actually gives us something to move our energy towards. You know, Eckhart Tolle would say the ego mind creates problems, so it has something to do. Mm. And so, like, when we're in the delusion of the ego, we live inside of problems and solutions, problems and solutions. But if there is no problem to be solved, which I know sounds like, oh my gosh, that's like really esoteric. Yeah. But it's like, do you know who you are independent of a problem? I oftentimes say this with activists, like who would you be or what would you do if this problem didn't exist? You always just want to check, does your identity require this problem to exist? Because without it, you wouldn't even know what to do with yourself. And again, back to the idea of like, we can actually hold two thoughts at once. I am not saying that the problems that said activist is working towards are not real issues. And do you depend on them to get your hit of adrenaline? Most of us require drama to feel aliveness. <laughs> you actually could begin to feel aliveness free of drama, and it wouldn't be intoxicating, and it wouldn't have a hangover. That's excellent language for it. The hangover bit, especially, mm -hmm. that rings home super hard. Like, I can wake up and do the positive version of this again tomorrow and the day after that, and the cumulative effects are good, not the gradual decline of this physical apparatus. That's huge. 
Yeah. How does one tap into that, that practice? So I am in a regular practice of noticing when I'm in a triggered and reactive state. Ooh, nice. And so I do that through checking in my, with my body sensations because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're made up of three primary intelligence centers, your body intelligence, your emotional intelligence, and your cognitive intelligence. Most of us are overly identified with our cognitive intelligence or our IQ. It's what this culture, you know, sort of holds up. And more and more, we're learning, oh, the value of emotional intelligence and probably the most robust body of work coming forward these days is your body intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so if I can tune in to what sensations are happening in and on the body in this now moment, I'm feeling a swirling in my belly, tightening in my shoulders, warming in my cheeks. Mm -hmm. The feelings that are here now are scared and joy. And the thought that I'm having is I'm appreciating the environment that the two of you are sitting in. And so if I can give myself access to tuning in, to creating a little bit of space between stimulus response, stimulus response, Mm -hmm. stimulus response, if I can create just a little bit of space such that I'm not living in a triggered and reactive state, then I have access to choice. Mm. If I have access to choice, I can become a creative conduit for the reality I desire, Mm. right? And so drama is just a function of being in our unconscious, Mm. triggered and reactive state that happens in moments of the mundane at a drive-through line at Starbucks or moments of the magnificent on a Zoom call with your parents. Like, it's like it can get really, it's like, Something that's really not an issue, something that really is an issue, and everything in between, you Mm -hmm, know? mm -hmm. And the only thing we ever have the ability to truly influence is our own response system. Awesome. And and like the body, that is trained, right? That's right. Because when we do Olympic lifts in the gym, my muscles know how to respond when a barbell hits my hips. Right. Yes. So it's the same thing. Like we need to practice and be aware of what it feels like to respond in a way that's productive. Yes. Because versus just automatically doing things that in a workout sense will rip a tendon or will strain a muscle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, if there's one thing I'd like to outsource, it's working out. I mean, like it is the area of life that I'm like, oh, and I just started doing CrossFit recently. Yeah. And, you know, I know there's lots of like, you know, drama around CrossFit and whatever. I'm actually relating to it as a meditation. And what's beautiful about the experience is if I go in there and I lead with my ego, Mm -hmm. then I run the risk of hurting myself. If I can be with where I am in this now moment and just lovingly stretch gently, kindly into my next great movement, that's enough. Yes, 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 yes. It's a great metaphor. I mean, Isaac and I, our metaphors for life always refer back to our CrossFit experience because every part of the CrossFit experience needs to be intentional from the coaching, aka the exterior forces, to the internal. What boundaries are you creating with yourself? What practices are you instilling to ensure that your muscles aren't tight? Because you're moving your body in different ways your body hasn't worked before. Yes. And if you don't pay attention to that, you are going to hurt yourself. So the same thing with emotional intelligence and response. How are we responding? Yes. Is it just automatic like we've done our whole life or is this intentional practice yes um that's hard a lot of the times and also gets easier just like weightlifting and just exactly i've just spent the last like 10 minutes grinning quietly over but to myself over here with anticipation for a future in which we have another conversation because there's so much more i want to talk about i also want to like bring you over for dinner when this is all safe and talk for hours because where are you where are are you in denver we're in denver we used to live in chicago for two years um that's okay and we're there lots of other years my crossfit journey started in chicago lots Uh of okay cool so with anticipation for lots of good stuff in the future yes um, this is an excellent time to segue into the penultimate question for closing, which is, what does an empowered Lola Wright feel like? Hmm. An empowered Lola Wright is connected to the knowing that she is always sourced and supplied, that she has all that she needs and wants, and that from this place, she can create that which is next for her to be and do. And so I I am reminded of my wholeness. Mm. I'm reminded of my abundance. I am reminded of the truth of who I am. And when I am connected to the truth of who I am, 
Then all things move together with ease and grace and flow. And even when things don't go as I expect them to, I'm able to be with them because I have mm-hmm. loose knees and I'm moving my hips. Yes, 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 yes. And lastly, what do you know for sure? <sighs> so cliche. But I really do know that like love is all there is. And that the delusion of fear is where all of our suffering resides. And when I surrender to love, my life is infinitely easier. Thank you. That hour went by so quickly. And yeah, thank you for your light and your joy and just being present with us today. We've learned so much and I feel really elevated and grateful for your joy and your truth and your fierceness. I've always, mm-hmm. We've always been drawn to your fierceness because we're always trying to practice that ourselves. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for your time. And for those of you who are listening, check out Lola Wright on her Instagram on everywhere. I mean, she's been, I mean, Michael Beckwith have said amazing things about you. Like you're just an incredible human. So thank you so much for your time. It is my joy. Thanks for the gift of being with you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Y'all, the whole point of everything is to open up ourselves in all the fullness we are made for, and then to create, create, create with everything that is real and true and bright. That's the work of a life. That's what we're working on. And you're here because you feel that for yourself, too. And we believe in you completely. Thanks for joining us this round. And hey, for every conversation in this series, including this one, we've assembled a downloadable set of notes, table questions, a journal prompt, and some action steps that you can use to bring the energy and the lessons of this conversation home to your own life. Head to our podcast website, empoweredhumanacademy.com. Hey, thank you for being here. Now get out there and do something that feels exactly like you. We will do the same. And for us, that includes bringing you the next conversation. We cannot wait. Have an awesome, awesome day.